our, our pastor in Montana, uh, Bill Myers was his name. He used to, he had this little saying that he used to say all the time. He said, the battle is in the mind. The battle is in the mind. And, uh, you know, we need to think clearly. We, we need to have undivided minds, unmuddled, undistracted uh, to, to really truly do the Lord's work. You know, it matters. Our, our minds matter. And, um, yeah, I was thinking about how easily distracted we all are. In fact, it's become a big part of our culture, I think. Uh, what's the word? Multitasking, right? So there's this article. It was in the uh, Stanford News Service. It says uh, that the title is Media Multitaskers Pay Mental Price, Stanford Studies uh, Shows. Here's the article, part of it. So you think you can multitask, texting while driving, no problem, watching television and reading from the Bible, no problem, checking your email while listening to your spouse, no problem, right? No problem. But in reality, according to a team of researchers at Stanford University, multitasking causes big problems. A Stanford, News University, or Stanford University News Service article announced the study this way. Attention multitaskers, if you can pay attention, that is. Your brain may be in trouble. The researchers originally set out to uh, discover what gave multitaskers their, their special focus. Instead, they were surprised to discover that in many ways, multitasking impairs performance. So while many people think they're effective at juggling multiple tasks, they're actually pretty lousy about it, at it, lousy at it. (laughs) For instance, heavy multitaskers are suckers for distraction and for irrelevancy. According to one of the researchers, everything distracts them. Multitaskers were also more unorganized in their ability to keep and retrieve information. They were even worse at the main thing that defines multitasking, switching from one task to another. Heavy multitaskers underperformed in almost every area of the study. I thought that was interesting because we need to have undivided minds. And, um, you know, sometimes I find that uh, my, my mind goes off in, in many directions. Some mornings when I'm sitting in my office having a, a really good time with the Lord and in prayer and his word, my my phone will make the little ding sound. And what do I do? I multitask. I check to see what it was, you know. Usually it's something very unimportant. So I find that uh, many times I just need to shut off my computer monitor, put my phone on silent, or even go somewhere else to have have my devotion. God cares about our minds. This is the point of this service or this sermon. We need to glorify God with our minds. He, he cares about our thought life. And, and he cares that we think clearly, that, we, that our minds are undivided, that we, uh, that we focus on what's important. We need to glorify God with all of us, all our mind, soul, body, and we need to glorify him with, with our minds in particular. That's, that's what I want to talk about this morning. You know, we're told to set our minds on the things above, the, the things of God. Remember when uh, Jesus rebuked Peter? You know, Peter had 
said, no, Lord, you're not going to die. And what did, what did the Lord say to, uh, to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We need to glorify God in our minds. How do we do that? That's the question this morning. And as we continue our, our journey through 1 Peter, we're still in chapter 1. We come to one thirteen, where Peter talks about sanctifying ourselves, being holy. And he begins talking about our minds, our, our thought life. If you turn to me to, uh, first, with me to 1 Peter one thirteen, in your Bibles, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Lord, as, uh, as we uh, open your word, Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us clear minds, that you would uh, give us uh, willing and, and receptive hearts. Lord, teach us what we, what we need to know this morning from your word. In Jesus' name. So I'd like to pull out three things from this, uh, this passage about glorifying God and w- with our minds. You know, we need, to, we need to give God glory with our minds through hope, through obedience, and through holiness. So first, let's give God glory with our minds through hope. You know, in verse 13, the, the main verb is a Greek word that means set your hope. Set your hope. The word means to put your confidence in. Put your full confidence in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And the subordinate verbs are two of them, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And these commands... These commands which deal with our minds tell us how we are to set our hope on God's grace. We'll get back to this this hope thing in a moment, but let's first look at what we need to do, and there's a couple things. First, we need to get our mind ready for action. Get our minds ready for action. I've given this a lot of consideration, especially in light of what, what Pastor Myers said, you know, that the battle is in our minds. Our, our mind is a, is a battleground. We need to take this very seriously. What is our thought life like? You know, what kind of things occupy our minds? How can we better prepare ourselves mentally for the battles that, that we face day to day? God cares about our minds and We need to have mental discipline. That's what Peter is saying right here. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Remember the Shema. We talk about this uh, frequently, it seems. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, 
all your strength. Let's, let's think about what it means to love God with all our mind. We, we must not be lazy and, and careless in how we think. Peter says, prepare your mind for action. Now, there's the, the next slide has, has a picture. Okay. Prepare your minds for action translates to a, an ancient image, which is literally in the Greek, it's, it's translated, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. This is... This is how to gird up your loins, by the way. You know, in, uh, in, the, in the ancient uh, and, and parts of the modern Middle East, I guess, you know, the form of a dress is, uh, uh, you know, man's long outer shirt draped down to his ankles. And you could see that it would be kind of hard maybe to, to move around in that thing if you're in battle or, or if you're doing a physical labor. You wouldn't be able to uh, perform agile or, or quick movements. So when such actions were, were needed, a man tucked his shirt into his belt. These are the steps, guys. This, this is from a website called The Art of Manliness, by the way. Anyway, Peter applies this metaphor to our minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, C.E.B. Cranfield, a commentator, says, you know, maybe to put this in more, uh, more modern terms, we'd say roll up the sleeves of our mind. Roll up the sleeves of our mind. Get ready for action. So how do we prepare our minds for action? You know, fundamentally, we need to, go, we need to know God's word. We need to study it. We need to read it. We need to meditate on God's word. We need to know how to apply God's word to our actions, to our lives day to day. How to apply his word when different circumstances and, and issues and problems come up. When we have these things that, that muddle our minds, if, if we're prepared with God's word, we know how to handle it. We know how to react we're ready for action. If our minds, if the if the loins of our minds are girded up, we're no, we're going to know how to uh, recognize untruth when we hear it. We're going to know how to uh, counter misinformation from a, from God's word. How how we'll measure it? How we'll measure lies against uh, God's scripture? You know, when we're tempted, we can, like Jesus, counter that temptation with. God's word. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how he did that when Satan brought these things to him. He just said, well, God's word says this. God's word says that. We need to keep our, ourselves, our minds from becoming entangled with, with the wrong thinking of the world. We need to guard our minds from adopting the attitudes of a, of a world that's ultimately hostile to God. Our, our, the, the priorities of our minds need to be heavenward, our thoughts Godward. We need to guard our minds against the uh, suggestions and the desires and the traps that the enemy lays before us constantly. We need to guard our minds from excessive worldly influence 
and instead thinks, think of the things that honor God, the things that honor Christ. Remember uh, Philippians 4.8 when we went through Philippians. Paul exhorts us. He says, whatever is true, remember this? Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those are the things that should be in our minds. So be prepared with your, in your mind. Second, Paul wants his readers to be sober-minded. Now, when we think of the word sober, we probably think of one or two things. First is, is probably uh, alcohol. You know, we, we should not be getting drunk. You know, the, uh, mo- most of the references to alcohol in the Bible are warnings. You know, a, a, a drunk person is certainly not a uh, clear thinker. A, dr- uh, you know, a drunk person is not ready for battle. Uh, you know, a drunk person's not going to be sober-minded. You know, this isn't necessarily saying that uh, we need to be teetotalers. Though we have probably all of us seen the kind of damage that can happen when people abuse alcohol. But, you know, I think that what he's commanding here is more than that. Well, the second possibility is we think of somebody who's very stern, humorless, very, very somber. You've, we, we, we know people like that. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's some people like that in here. I don't know. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I, there, there's this guy... I heard a sermon, and in his sermon, he, he gave his testimony as to how God saved him from a sense of humor. And this guy, I'm not making this up, this guy never smiled. You know, if you, yeah, I like when people laugh at my jokes, you know, but he never did. He, he wouldn't even smile at him. You know, you've seen the old photos of the, uh, like from the 1800s when, when the, the photographer must have been saying, okay, frown, click. That's not what he's saying, you know. It's, it's too bad, really, because God wants us to be people who are full of joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? You know what Peter is saying here? I don't think is either one of those two things. He's saying that we need to be sensible in our thinking. We need to be not flighty we need to be not out of control with our emotions emotions the uh, lexicon the greek lexicon definition for the word that peter is using here is as follows he is, be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness free from excess passion rashness confusion etc in other words be well balanced and self-controlled Be well-balanced and self-controlled. That's being sober-minded. And I think James hits on this in his epistle when he says that uh, every man should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I think that's a a picture of sober-mindedness right there. Picture of self-control. You know, how, how often do we let our emotions cloud our judgment 
We all do it. You know, not not pausing to think, just reacting, blurting out the first thing that, that comes to our mind. That's what Peter's warning us against. We need to be mentally prepared. We need to be alert if we're to perform what is the main action of this verse, which is to hope in God's grace. You hope fully in God's future grace. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our minds need to be in the right place if we're going to do this wholeheartedly. You know, we, we know that God has given us very generously his grace in, in our salvation. You know, we've, we've been saved by grace through faith. We've been justified. We've been born again. We've, we've been adopted into the family of God if we believed in Jesus. <coughs> this is past grace. Very amazing stuff. You know, we, we know that we've been given God's grace in our salvation. We've been justified. But he gives us grace daily, presently, present grace. You know, the grace that uh, secured our salvation is the same grace that gives us the ability to live the Christian life day by day, moment by moment. God's given us the Holy Spirit to, to keep us on the right path. That's nothing but grace. He's given us the grace to endure the hard things of life. You know, I know that uh, many of us have gone through hard things. Many of us are going through hard things right now. Very difficult things, but God's with us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Awesome present grace. What Peter's talking about here is future grace, though. Future grace. Think of that song, Amazing Grace. That's a song we all love. You know, it says, uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, uh, we we have already come. You know, we we can look back and see the things that God has done for us, the things he's brought us through. But he says, it is grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will, will lead us home. You know, it's that, it's that present grace that's brought us through those things, but finally his grace is what we look forward to, future grace. You know, this is, this is the grace that will ultimately come to us in eternity. John Piper says, this grace which moves in power from God to you at a point in time is both past and future. It has already done something for you, or in you, and therefore is past, and it is about to do something in you and for you, and so it is future. Both five seconds away and five million years away, God's grace. God's grace is ever cascading over the waterfall of the present from the inexhaustible river of grace coming to us from the future into the ever-increasing reservoir of grace in the past. In the next five minutes, you will receive sustaining grace flowing to you from the future, and you will accumulate another five minutes worth of grace in the reservoir of the past. Picture that. So Peter says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is the grace that we will ultimately realize when we are with Jesus, when we, when we see him face to face. I'm looking forward. 
So we need to be right-minded, alert, sober, ready for action as we eagerly wait, await the Lord's return. Let's, let's glorify God in our minds. Peter says next that, we, that this needs to play out in the way we live. We need to, uh, to heed the Father. We need to obey him. We need to glorify God in our minds in obedience. In verse 14, he says, as, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now notice the premise here. He says, as obedient children. Let's, let's take that apart. First, we, uh, if we've believed in the Lord Jesus for our, our salvation and received him, we are God's children. If we aren't, none of this is going to make any sense. You know, what, what a privilege, though, it is to, uh, to call God our Father. You know, it's, it's because of his love for us that we can be called his, his children and, and name him as Father. John says this very beautifully in 1 John 3, 1 through 2. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's that hope. We have the, uh, the, the privilege of being his children. But with the privilege of sonship comes uh, responsibility. In, in Ephesians 5, 1 two, and 2, uh, the Apostle Paul lays down the expectation. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Brothers and sisters, since we are the children of God, we must strive to be like him. Jesus is, is our example. We, we, we must be like Christ who loved us and gave his life for us. Second now, in what Peter is saying here, once we've established that premise, if we are the children of God, we need to be obedient children. We need to obey him. And what, what did Jesus say? He said, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do we keep Jesus' commandments? Do we do what he tells us to do? Or, or do we take what he says and maybe reason it away? Uh, you know, this, this goes back to being sober-minded. You know, we, can't, we can't live in a thought world while we are, where, where we're constantly looking for ways to disobey and reasons to uh, explain away what, what Jesus has commanded us to do. This has everything about everything to do with uh, our, our minds being ready for action. You know, if we uh, if we fool ourselves into thinking, well, yeah, Jesus didn't really mean that, or that doesn't really apply to me. Maybe it applies to everybody else, but not me. We're setting ourselves up for failure. Uh, 
pure and simple. We're, we're pitting our own cleverness against God's word. If, <clears throat> if we do that, we're, we're raising our own opinions against what we know or, or should know about uh, God. And so we need, to, we need to guard against this inclination. This is an inclination that all of us have. Paul speaks of this tendency, this tendency for us to, to challenge God in our minds. And here's what he says. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, we're not ready for action if we're trying to uh, think up ways to uh, circumvent the simple commandments that uh, Jesus has given us. Uh, you know, if, we, if we try to look for loopholes, yeah, we might think we're clever. Yeah, we might convince ourselves. We might fool ourselves. We might fool others around us, but we're falling into deception and we're giving into the techniques of the enemy. What did, what did the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say that? You know, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve said, yeah. And she said something about not eating, touching, or whatever, you know. She, she even expanded it. But what did, the, what did the serpent say? You're not going to die. You know, he, and, and he made up things about what God's motives were, you know, to convince her to, convince her to rationalize away what God commanded. We can't do that. You know, we... We'll come up with principles of living that are, are contrary to godly living. Uh, we can't do that. We, we can't reason away the, the commands that God's given us. You know, we need to, as Paul says, destroy that way of thinking. Take every thought captive in, in this battleground, which, which is our mind. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Notice how he just keeps going back to the mind. You know, an ignorant mind is what we don't want. You know, here's, here's the evidence of our obedience. What is the shape of our lives? Do we let ourselves be molded by the world's way of thinking? Or do we conform to the image of Christ and the thinking that God gives us? Again, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. There's always been this tendency for us to be conformed to the world and not transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, Ronald Sider wrote a book called The, uh, the Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. Its subtitle is uh, Why Are Christians Living Just Like the Rest of the World? And he says this, To say there is a crisis of disobedience in the evangelical world today is to dangerously understate the problem. Born-again Christians divorce at about the same rate as everyone else. 
Self-centered materialism is seducing evangelicals and rapidly destroying our earlier, slightly more generous giving. Only 6% of born-again Christians tithe. Born-again Christians justify and engage in sexual promiscuity, both premarital sex and adultery at astonishing rates. Racism and perhaps physical abuse of wives seem to be worse in evangelical circles than elsewhere. This scandalous behavior for people who claim to be born again by the Holy Spirit and to enjoy the very presence of the risen Lord in their lives. It is quite scandalous. As, as believers, we need that constant renewing, that constant renewal of, of our minds from the Holy Spirit. You know, we need to, we need to be able to look back at our past selves and see and acknowledge, admit that we were wrong and, and repent. You know, we can wrongly explain away our wrong thinking and sin, uh, sinful behavior by saying, well, that's me. I've always been that way. This is the way I'm, I'm wired. No, we need that constant renewing of the mind. We need to be growing and maturing. I've always been that way. You know, and that might be true. But God wants to fix that. You might say, well, you know, you can't uh, teach an old dog new tricks. You've heard that. Well, you can't, but God can. God must. Uh, We need to be able to look back and realize our former ignorance. Like Peter says, repent of our wrong thinking. We need to submit to him in obedience We need to know God's word. We need to allow ourselves to be challenged by what God has to say to us. We need to be constantly remolded, reformed as we become conformed to the image of Christ, becoming more like him. So let's glorify God with our minds, setting our thoughts on the hope that we have in Christ, obeying him, and finally, giving ourselves wholly to him in holiness. Verse 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what this word holy means. I think the world would think, well, if... If a, a Christian is holy, what does that mean? It means that, uh, you know, something really negative, like uh, they, they think of this person as a stiff, arrogant, judgmental person who hates them and sees them as their enemy. A lot of people think that about Christians. It's not what Peter's talking about here. You know, when Peter quotes this verse, uh, be holy because I am holy, he's, he's pulling this out of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. There's actually a number of places in Leviticus where where God says this, be holy because I am holy. And this this Hebrew word is uh, kadosh, which means to be separated, to be separated, uh, set apart for God's use. The Apostle Paul talks about that, about us being Holy vessels set apart for for God's use. 
Tim Keller gives a good example. Listen to this. Um, you're reading a newspaper, and it's all for your information. You, you read 20 or 30 articles. You get through it, and it, it's all helpful to you, but suddenly you come across one particular article you want to use. This is an article that really has something you want to use, and you want to use it because you're writing something, writing some copy, writing a paper for class, preparing for a talk or something. And you say, I need that. I need that article. When you need something out of the newspaper, what do you do? You, you cut it out. You separate it from the newspaper because it's yours. It won't be any use to you if you don't separate it out from the rest of the paper so that it's with you. It's, it's for your use. When the Bible talks about holiness, it's saying the same thing. What it means to be holy is to be cut out. It means to be separated. It means to be set apart for God's exclusive use. Holiness is a lot more than just simply obeying a set of rules. It's to be in mind and in will and in heart and in every way it means to be God's, holy God's, W-H-O-L-Y. It means to belong to God. That's exactly what it means. Just like here is your newspaper and you cut something out so it's yours, you set it apart. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be completely at God's disposal for his use. It means to put yourself completely into his hands. It means to want that, to want to be used. You know, have, have we given our whole selves to God for his service? Have, have we determined to love God with, with our whole selves, including our minds? You know, as, as with all things, we need his help. In this area, we need his grace. D.A. Carson says, people do not drift towards holiness. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, or delight in the Lord. What do we drift towards? We drift towards compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of the lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we've escaped legalism. We slide towards godliness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. This is why we need grace. <laughs> you know, one of my one of the most meaningful hymns in our hymn book for me is is a hymn which I'm sure we're all familiar with. It's um, it's called uh, "Take My Life and Let It Be." You know that one. And the hymn writer just says, you know, each. Each little thing about me, I, I want to give to the Lord. Everything about my life, every part of it, I just, I, I want to consecrate it. I want it to be set apart as holy to the Lord. Um, let me just read a, a few verses. The first one says, take my life and let it be consecrated. Lord, to thee, um, take my moments and my days. Let, let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. Then he goes on in verse 2, Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. 
Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Now skip down to verse four. It says, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. That's loving God with our mind. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. There's a lot more we could say about this. A lot more, and those things will be for for another time. But uh, you know, for each of us, we we need to consider this: that our mind is a battleground. The, the battle is in the mind. We need to strive to be alert and mentally active, and and we need to keep our minds pure and undivided and and focused on the Lord. When difficult things come up, let's let's ask the Lord. Uh, Lord, how how would you have me think about this? How would you have me think about this? What what does your word say? Uh, how how can I glorify you with my attitude, Lord? Lord, in the, in this issue, I I surrender my will to you. I I submit to your instruction. Let's treasure our sonship. Let's let's be ready and let's be eager to to obey our God. Let's uh, consciously set ourselves apart for him, consecrating every part of us to, to his service, laying aside our selfish desires, our our sinful motives. Let's seek Christ likeness in, in all our ways and, and glorify God in our minds. Let's pray. Lord, let us be challenged by your word today. I know I'm challenged. Uh, we need your grace and, and your wisdom as, as we seek to, to live in you and, and for you. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to guard our hearts and our, and our minds. Help us, Lord, to think clearly and think rightly and undivided, Lord. Help us have the same attitude as, as the Lord Jesus who loved us laid his life down for us, Lord. Help us to have that humility in our minds. Lord, help, your, help us to uh, allow your peace to reign in our minds. Lord, take our intellect and choose er, and use every power as you choose. Amen.